The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Many of us do. We 
like the idea of training, uh, especially hard training, grueling training, training that makes you wake up at the crack of dawn in order to do it. Uh, some of you have trained for a marathon, uh, perhaps. Some of you trained for an Ironman. I think my man Eli did one of those once upon a time. Uh, military boot camp is called basic training. Uh, I heard about a firefighter a moment ago from Jason, police academy. In the movies, we like training. If you know the movie Rocky or anything with Jean-Claude Van Damme in it, uh, we love the training montage, right? Typically in the martial arts movies where a sensei is being really hard on them because they know it's gonna produce something amazing. Do you guys know Rocky in here? Yeah. Okay, nobody in my church knows Rocky. I was really excited to, <laughs> to share that one with you. Uh, surely we have also experienced being trained in many different things. My father trained me to fix cars because we couldn't afford to uh, take it to a mechanic. Some of you have been trained in other skills, carpentry, electricity. Uh, I've already heard here, home renovation, uh, coaching is a type of training. Uh, and surely uh, many of you are familiar with coaching uh, sports. Uh, we as men, we have this romantic view of training. And so it is odd when we as Christian men are tempted to not have that view of training when it comes to training our fellow men in Christ and to follow him. In the light of this thought, uh, Vodi Bakum once said, I'm sure you've heard it, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but I fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. And as men in Jesus' church, if we don't train one another to keep our eyes on Christ, then I would say we have also failed as Christian men. And our text this morning is going to give us a reminder. So our text is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, but I'm going to read through verse 7 just to give some extra context, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 says, And you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, you can stop right there. Uh, the topic for today is discipleship, and let me just start with a brief definition, okay? You all know a disciple is a student, uh, or a learner, or a follower. Um, Jesus said a disciple comes after him. Uh, Jesus said a disciple becomes like their teacher, Matthew 10. So when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about helping people follow after Jesus, even as we've already heard. We're helping them to learn Christ, as Paul said in Ephesians 4. 
We're helping them to, we're helping to teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. That's the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Discipleship is making and maturing followers of Jesus. What's the difference between discipleship and coaching then, since I talked about that earlier? What's the difference between discipleship and apprenticeship? Answer, nothing, except for the goal, right? When you coach baseball, the goal is baseball. When you teach a skill, the goal is mastering that skill. When you disciple, the goal is Christ. The reason why I'm making all these connections is to show you all from the start that you know how to disciple others. You know it. I mean, just taking co- coaching sports, for instance. If I ask you, I don't know, hopefully you have some type of sport in mind when I say the word sport. If I asked you how to coach, how you should coach sports, you would answer very easily. You would say, well, first, the coach needs to know and understand the sport. They should know the rules, the form. Uh, any good coach has probably experienced being coached before also. You would say, next, you need time. You need time to practice. You need time to observe. You need time to give feedback. You need to put in reps. You need to put in work. If you, I'm a baseball player. The best way to teach somebody to field ground balls is to hit them 100 ground balls every day. It's the best way. Learn real fast. Lastly, you desire, any good coach should desire that the player exceed the coach in their skill and also be able to teach that to others. That's discipleship. Parenting, maybe, is, another, uh, is a really common form in this room. It's a form of discipleship. Parenting is fairly simple. Uh, just teach your children everything you know. That's it. And so, if we know how to make disciples, why don't we do it sometimes? Why don't we do it? Well, maybe it's because we feel like Timothy in this letter that Paul writes. That might be it. If you remember in chapter 1, verse uh, 7, um, Timothy had been feeling tired or retired, <laughs> you could say. Uh, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul uh, tells him not to be timid. That word means to lack mental strength or even moral strength. He had been, uh, Timothy had been feeling weak, even selfish perhaps. Or even a little bit out of control. Uh, I can say maybe those things because Paul says, Paul's desire is to remind him that he has a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And those other things I mentioned are the opposite. Maybe Timothy was feeling weak and selfish and out of control. And that's why he was struggling in his continuation of the gospel ministry and discipleship. And I'd ask you, do any of those Characteristics describe you as you consider this topic of discipleship. Maybe you feel tired or retired. Uh, you consider yourself old and past the age of training others. Uh, maybe you feel weak or unable or ill-equipped. Maybe you've kept making excuses such as you feel like you need to know more, you don't know enough, you need to learn more, you need to do more, and then... I'll start doing discipleship. Maybe you're unloving. Love considers others first, and maybe it's a season where you're considering yourself uh, first. Jason said, uh, discipleship is dying unto yourself. Maybe you're out of control. And what I mean by that is maybe you're aiming for too many things and hitting none of them right now. 
uh, and you've eliminated time for investing in uh, your fellow brothers in the church. If that describes you this morning, uh, this morning I want to give you three pro tips uh, that will help you engage in discipleship, okay? Three pro tips uh, that will help you uh, immediately begin making and maturing disciples, okay? First pro tip, and especially if you have been feeling tired or weak or unable or out of control, then the first pro tip is, number one, know your strength in Christ, K-N-O-W, know your strength in Christ. Fairly simple, chapter 2, verse 1, you therefore, my child, that's what Paul said, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Know it. Knowing our strength in Christ flows out of our knowing Christ, and this is the most important aspect of our discipleship, whether in the church or in our homes, is that we ourselves are following after our Lord Jesus. You know that when Paul spoke of discipleship in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, he said, Be imitators of me, just as also I am of Christ. And in Deuteronomy, even the Old Testament, Moses, when he's t- t- uh, preaching to Israel, he says, Before you teach your children and all that, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. These commands should be on your heart first. And that's basically what Paul has been telling Timothy in chapter 1. Follow Christ. Pursue Christ. Stand up in Christ. Be bold in Christ. Therefore, my son, chapter 2, verse 1, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You've been feeling weak. You've been feeling timid. You've been feeling out of control. Be strengthened, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What grace? What is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, we can just expound that forever, and, I, and I'm not here to do a whole detailed teaching. You guys get that every week, is why I thank the Lord for you. Just, just to remind you, in this letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, let me remind you about some things that Paul has reminded Timothy about the grace of God. First, uh, verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul recollects how Christ has given us the promise of life. And he desires grace, mercy, and peace to be experienced by Timothy. Verse 2, he reminds Timothy how Paul is praying and we uh, can pray and God answers. Verse 3, and Paul reminds Timothy he's been gifted by God. And 1 Corinthians 12 says every single person here, if, you're, if you belong to Jesus, you have been given gifts uh, by the Spirit of God. In verse 7, as I've already said, God has given us a spirit of power and love and discipline. Chapter 1, verse 9. He saved us. He saved us. Knowing our sin and rebellion against Him, He saved us. He called us with a holy calling, Paul reminds Timothy. By the way, He saved us and called us not according to our works, not according to how well we have performed in the past, not, not according to how well we will perform or how poorly we will perform in the future, but He called us according to His own purpose and His Grace in Christ Jesus. And he always accomplishes his purposes. This purpose, by the way, has been made crystal clear now that the Son of God has been manifested. His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the expectation that's coming again. 
Verse 10, Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Verse 13, he's given us his word. And in verse 14, he's entrusted his word to men, including you. I heard at your last breakfast, breakfast you, you all considered uh, the word of God in prayer. Why? Because those are ministers of grace to strengthen you in Christ. Brothers, uh, be strengthened. Be strong in his grace to you. Are you being strengthened by him? Well, let me just give you one uh, test, testing factor um, to help you know. How do you know that you are experiencing uh, being strengthened in the grace of Christ? This is not exhaustive, but just one thing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It shows up in chapter 1 in unashamedness. Not being ashamed of him. In verse 12, Paul says he's not ashamed. He says in verse 12, even if it brings suffering, great suffering, he's not ashamed. Why? Because Jesus is fully able to guard and keep everything that we entrust in him. He's fully able. Not just Paul, but in verse 16, Onesiphorus, or I usually read that one Onesiphorus, but I'm just reading the Bible, but Onesiphorus, he also was not ashamed. He's willing to identify with Christ. He's willing to identify with Paul publicly and his people publicly. And so maybe a question to ask at, some, at many points is, are we generally in this season feeling ashamed or unashamed of our faith in Christ? How often do we speak about Him and our walk with Him to non-believers? How often do we speak about Him to believers? That's discipleship, right? When you are being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that strength is out of this world. It's the one thing that can equip you to endure and persevere through anything in this world. Philippians 4.13, in the right way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What did Paul mean? Paul meant, in the worst of circumstances, I can bear it because of Christ who strengthens me. Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And right after that, it's the armor of God passage. And every piece of that armor is representative of Christ. Trusting him gives great strength. That's why in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, grace is sufficient. When I am weak, that makes me completely depend on on Christ, and therefore I am strong. We need to abide in Him. I could go on. This is just tangent. I just think this, the Lord's lighting up my brain. John 15. If you abide in me and I, my words abide in you, and I ask whatever you wish will be done for you, apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe what I'm saying is this. If you are abiding in Christ, there's nothing that you need to do to get power to serve others and disciple others. That's why Paul tells Timothy, he doesn't say get power. He says kindle what you already have. Kindle it. Fan it into flame. Alright? Pro tip number two. Pro tip number two for discipleship. 
Spend time with someone who loves Christ. Spend time with someone who loves Christ. That is discipleship. Um, Paul tells Timothy that he needs to remember the time that he spent with Paul. Right there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, uh, he says, And the things which you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses. Stop right there. I just want to think about this for a moment. What did Timothy hear from Paul that he's talking about here? When did he hear those things from Paul? How often did he talk to Paul and hear from Paul? And who were all the witnesses that Timothy heard these things in front of? Well, let me just remind us of some background here. Because God's Word tells us much about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Now, just do a word search for Timothy's name, and it's going to light up like a Christmas tree, okay? But Paul and Timothy. Paul meets Timothy. Timothy is a younger uh, man. Uh, they meet around Acts 16 or 17, and uh, they travel together. Uh, they travel together. Paul takes Timothy along with him on his second tour, second missionary tour. And uh, Timothy joins him in the beginning of that tour, and they start traveling to uh, Macedonia, which includes Philippi and Thessalonica. Uh, maybe you remember, you remember when Paul and Silas were arrested in Acts chapter 16? Timothy was there. Uh, if you remember, uh, Paul and Silas were beaten in Philippi after they freed a slave girl who was a uh, fortune teller. Uh, she began to annoy Paul, it says in Acts 16. Uh, and these jerks who were using her to make a profit, they got mad that, that she got released from that evil spirit. And uh, when Paul and Silas rebuked that evil spirit, and the prophet was gone. And Timothy was there. I mean, he heard the preaching. He saw how Paul handled the evil spirit, right? And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't remember, uh, I remember Paul and Silas in prison. I don't remember Timothy in prison. Well, that's because when you are preaching the gospel and you get in trouble for it, they only arrest the people who uh, are causing all the uh, causing all the change. Uh, I, I remember the very first time that I uh, got arrested in front of Planned Parenthood. Uh, same, same thing, right? Uh, I was there with a bunch of saints, a bunch of ch- ch- members from our church, and I was the only one uh, put in handcuffs. And the church members there, that were there with me, uh, you know, one took my car keys, uh, one, you know, called my wife and let her know what was going on, tell her, don't worry, I expect to be out, you know, that day. Uh, others were encouraging me and reminding me of uh, Christ's love and you know, they were probably more concerned than I was. I'm like, finally, you know, persecution. <laughs> um, I imagine Timothy did the same thing for Paul and Silas, right? This mob comes, they come get them, they start beating them, and, and Timothy's like, hey, Paul, Silas, I'll grab the donkeys, you know, if that's what they were riding on. Or as they were being arrested, Timothy goes to Lydia's house after and perhaps gives a report there. Uh, I imagine Timothy was also encouraging them uh, to trust in the Lord. And maybe, I mean, I'm just, I'm just imagining here, maybe it's cool to think that as they were singing in the jail cell, uh, partly Timothy had some participation in that fruit in praying for them and ministering to them. 
Timothy, he was, as I said, at Lydia's house when Paul and Silas were set free in Acts chapter 16, 40. Surely, when they're hanging out at Lydia's house, Timothy had heard how Paul and Silas were singing in prison. He heard how the jailer was going to take his own life. But instead, God resurrected the jailer and his whole household to brand new life by faith in Jesus. Uh, and Paul and Silas shared the gospel. Uh, Timothy was with Paul at Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, where Paul was just going around preaching in the synagogues and in the public, just preaching the glory of Christ. Timothy's watching people get converted. Timothy is still seeing the Jews following Paul uh, to upset him. Then they go to Berea, and Timothy is still there. They saw many come to faith, they were encouraged. These guys were searching the scriptures. Timothy was, Paul in, Timothy was with Paul in Corinth also, Acts chapter 18 where the Lord comes to Paul in a vision and he says, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Maybe in Corinth, Timothy even worked leather for a little bit, since that's where Paul met Priscilla and Aquila. Timothy was also in Acts chapter 20, and this is a well-taught church. I'm sure... We know this scene where Paul sends for the Ephesian elders uh, to meet him and my leaders, and there he gives a farewell address to them. It's one of the greatest portions and encouragements and warnings uh, to those who will shepherd and guide, disciple God's people. Timothy was there. Timothy watched the tears as they recounted the years that Paul was with them, ministering and discipling faithfully. When Paul writes 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, and Romans, Timothy's with them. Think about all the time that Timothy spent with Paul. And I would argue that Paul loved Jesus the most out of anybody in human history. I can say that in chapter 7, Jesus said, He who is forgiven most loves most. And I feel like Paul is always reminding us that he has been forgiven most. Think about all that time that they spent together. Think about all those conversations. Think about all that travel, the caravans, the carpools, the, you know, the rides together. Think about all the church visits that they went to together. Think about the persecution Think about all the experience together. Think about all the side conversations. Think about how Timothy's faith in the Lord would be strengthened by that time together. So when Paul tells Timothy to consider the things that Timothy has heard from Paul in the presence of many witnesses, that memory is rich. You know, maybe we're tempted, you know, I hear Timothy, I'm always thinking young Timothy, whenever I see Timothy's name in scripture. But in 2 Timothy, he ain't a young guy. You know, he's not Paul's age, but he's not a young guy. He's, he's a veteran in the ministry. He's a veteran missionary. He's a veteran an elder and pastor, perhaps. That memory is rich. Now, how did, what was Paul's strategy? What was Paul's strategy for teaching him the glory of Christ, the gospel uh, love, compassion, gentleness, as was read in Second uh, First Thessalonians two, uh, Corinth did earlier. What was Paul's strategy? Was that his curriculum? Was was 
was, was, was there a Fundamentals of the Faith workbook that Paul had in mind to take Timothy through? Is that, what, is that what Paul learned in discipleship class in seminary? No. What was Paul's discipleship strategy with Timothy? Uh, as I said already, it's in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, and it's so profound. Paul's discipleship curriculum is so profound in Acts 16, 15. This is Paul's discipleship strategy. It says uh, there in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. And Timothy went with Paul. That's it. That's it. That's his discipleship, discipleship strategy. We're just going to spend some time together. It doesn't matter where. It wasn't on a, for any particular mission or any particular formal ministry. It was just accompanying me. And we'll trust the Lord to do the rest. Discipleship is what happens when someone takes you with them. It's what happens when, when you spend time with someone who loves Jesus. And I hope that you know what it's like. Love the testimonies that we heard. I hope you know what it's like to spend time with somebody like that. Now you ain't necessarily going to go on. Sorry, you are not. <laughs> Slang comes out. Uh, you are not going to go on any missionary journeys for a lengthy, lengthy amount of time, perhaps. But where can you spend time with other men in this church if you're not doing that already? Where can you find a young man to go with you to come along? Where can you find a mature man to take you along? Uh, if you're thinking of a name, write that down. The, the Spirit of God just brings things to mind, and when He does, Martin Lloyd Jones would say, Stop what you're doing, and just write it down. Um, by the way, if you are thinking of a name, uh, what I'm not saying is that you need that discipleship is always with one person, one on one, for the rest of your life. Okay? Some people think that discipleship has to be that way. But let me just lovingly tell you all, none of you are that cool to be one person's only mentor for their life. Okay? And none of you are that cool to be someone's only disciple for their, for their whole life. Uh, with all everything that we've seen in the scripture, Paul and Timothy had a unique relationship, but their relationship was not exclusive. Right? Paul spent time with Luke, Mark, Titus, Epaphroditus, Erastus, uh, the church in Corinth knew Paul, but they also knew Peter and Apollos. Uh, even Jesus, he has multiple men. He doesn't stick to one man. He got Peter, James, and John in the inner circle, and then the other nine slash eight. Find someone. Find someone to take you along an area of your life. Uh, discipleship happens in everyday life. And ask a bunch of questions. Ask a bunch of questions. All the questions that you want in the, the world, the person who's with you, will love to answer them. And how, do you, how does someone who loves Jesus walk and talk? How do they work? How does a Christian look, work versus a non-believer? How do you serve? How do you love your wife? How do you raise your children? How do you share the gospel with others? How do you ask people's forgiveness and confess to them of sin? How do they pray? How do they see Christ in all of Scripture? How do they walk in trials? How do they demonstrate patience? It's hard to see those things in formal ministries like this. Where you see those is in the context of everyday life. If you preach or teach in this church, uh, theoretically, you shouldn't have to ever look up a bunch of illustrations outside the church 
you can have a bunch of insights. People are walking in faith and trusting Him, uh, such as the testimonies. I really love. I really love that uh, opening up like that. Uh, most of discipleship is just showing up. Most of discipleship is just showing up, and I'm not. I can't remember how everybody responded to COVID, but that's why live stream hurt the church. Uh, because we lost an aspect of uh, biblical discipleship uh, when we were all apart. Um, I'll say this for you mountain people, because that's how I see you. Uh, we are. Right? Corey said, okay, cool. Running away to your big property and hiding in the hills is not an option for discipleship. Unless... You take someone with you. That's all I'm saying. Take somebody with you. Uh, last pro tip. Last pro tip. Number three. Aim for evangelism. Aim for evangelism. Okay? And let me explain this one. Uh, look at 2 Timothy 2.2 2 again. Uh, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The goal of discipleship is not just producing faithful men. The goal of discipleship is not just producing faithful men who have grown. The goal of discipleship is faithful men who will be entrusted to teach and train others also, men who will be trusted to pass the word of God. Men who will be trusted to proclaim the words of Christ. Men who will be trusted to carry on the gospel, even in a hostile world that Paul will continue to write about in this letter. Men who can minister the gospel and Christ to people. In discipleship, it's not enough to pass on some facts about Christ. Paul didn't say, the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, write them down and make sure that somebody else gets the book. You are to pass it down. Because as much and as powerful as the word of God is, God also sovereignly ordains human instruments and messengers to serve and lead one another, remind one another of Christ. Paul doesn't say, uh, you know, trust these to men who will be hearers, but also doers of this Word. There's training involved here. Training others to speak and minister, interpret, and apply rightly and speak it, but also being, as they are controlled by the Word of God, as he'll go on at the end of chapter 2, with gentleness and patience, not being quarrelsome. Right? Discipleship is not just knowing the Word of God, but being able to speak the Word of God while you're at the same time controlled by the Word of God. The reason why I phrased it, I'm just editing. Uh, the reason why I'm phrasing it, aim for evangelism, is because I would say that the greatest test of a man's ability to speak the word of God while also being controlled by Christ is what I would call evangelism. It's very easy. It, you don't realize your 
I don't realize my weaknesses when I'm preaching to believers because they give me the benefit of the doubt, they're familiar with the Bible, they know Christ, you know, they're going to be very patient with me. But somebody who does not know him, uh, that puts all your <laughs> communication and your love to the test in a very practical way, right? Uh, so this is what I'm calling evangelism. And this is important because when discipleship is lacking, the gospel is at stake. People will be tempted, as in chapter 1, to be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, to forget the unfathomable riches of Christ. They'll be tempted to, tempted to serve other masters instead of Christ. They might waste their time arguing about unimportant things if they're not being discipled. They might hold to a form of godliness, but deny its power if they're not being discipled. Second Timothy 4, they might go around searching for teachers who will tickle their ears. So men, aim for evangelism in your own life, but also in the lives of those you are training. When Paul wanted to preach the gospel, to minister to the gospel in an area that he couldn't be, he surely is an example of this, because what did he do? He sent Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 3, Philippians 2, 1 Corinthians 4. Now he sent somebody else who he equipped to do that. And Jesus did the same thing. It's always a wonder to think upon the fact that the gospel came to us by Jesus sending his apostles to preach the gospel. He trained others, trained others, trained others, trained others, and after 2,000 some odd years, the gospel is still going forth, and it came to us. We might be saved from our rightful, eternal punishment, separated from God, and we'll be given all the riches of his glory by the person and work of the Son. That's amazing because of faithful men in the past, and you are also the faithful men who will make sure it continues until the Lord comes. Evangelism is a starting point of discipleship. It's the very first thing you do. Great Commission, Matthew 28. Great Commission begins with going. Evangelism, I'm just, I'm just giving you more definitions to help. When Jesus is so delighted in, when Jesus is so rejoiced in, when he's so treasured, that he's taught about and he's talked about indiscriminately with believers and non-believers. Evangelism is gospelism. I'm talking about the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel with a non-believer? And who else have you watched do it? Right? Maybe those examples. Maybe it's meant to step up and be examples. Who have you watched do it? Who has ever watched you share the gospel with someone? I'm sure Timothy, you know, even fell on his face a couple times. You know, he's preaching the gospel. Paul's like, ah, you know, I would have done that. I would have said that. You know, um, Timothy's like, but I don't want to get stoned today. You know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but there's a bunch of discipleship and training and coaching, even in those interactions. And this is the greatest message on the face of the planet, brothers. I heard a, I heard a bunch of amens earlier. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So, aim for evangelism. Make sure disciples of Christ can teach each other to minister the gospel and everything else will be a piece of cake. Just as a brief reminder, in the New Testament, every genuine disciple of Jesus Christ did evangelism in some way. When I am ministering to saints in my church, uh, I want them to be so caught up with Christ. And I know your pastors want the same. 
The goal is for them to be so caught up with Christ that they're willing to proclaim Him from the rooftops. I want them to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, in a way that they treasure Him and are satisfied by Him, not just in word, but by experience. I want them to lose themselves and be gripped by Him. So whether it's biblical counseling, evangelism, teaching, preaching, apologetics, whatever it is, the bullseye that I always keep in mind is will, are they understanding Christ and the mind and the heart to an extent that they will be able to articulate Him to the people around them? That's the goal. That's the, it doesn't mean there are going to be a bunch of street preachers you know, after we're done, but Paul's discipleship model here in 2 Timothy 2 2 is not just you pass it on and it stops, but you pass it on to people who are able to continue to advance the message. Now, I'll close, because it's that time, uh, with one last motivation for you to get busy about the work of discipleship, and it's still in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 8. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy and us, Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. In Romans 1, I love, Paul says, the gospel was promised long ago before him. Genesis 3.15, the gospel, which was promised long ago, he came. We know him. And in verse 9 and 10, Paul says, this is why he suffers. This is why he labors for the sake of Christian brothers and sisters, so that they may all obtain salvation and the eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And in verse 11, it's a trustworthy statement, or you can take this to the bank. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Negatively, if we deny him, he will also deny us. And yet, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if for no other reason, besides what has been mentioned, devote yourself to this work. Because our Lord Jesus uh, was devoted to serving you in that way. I'm going to pray as we prepare to sing again. Father, we rejoice that you have used men uh, over the course of history uh, to continue to advance the name of our Lord and Savior. We have come to know you and him and, and eternal life through it. Uh, by that proclamation, faith has come from hearing and hearing the words about Christ. And I pray that you give all these men, you bless this church, you bless their ministry, you would uh, continue to grow them and stir them and uh, to continue to train them uh, for the good of the church and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.